Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We are launching this week into a series called God Said That. We went over several things that God never said, tried to correct some some cultural misconceptions, uh, some cultural misnomers, if you will, some things that have been attributed to God or His Word over the years that, that He never said. But today we want to talk on the topic of God said that. And let me, let me tell you this, this first thing that, that God reminded me that He said, that Jesus said, and we're going to read it in a second. Above all else, this is what Jesus said. Come to me. If you don't remember anything else that I preached today, I want you to remember the title of this message. Come to me. I love when my children need me to call them, whether they know it or not. You know, maybe they're in the back fighting over something ignorant <laughs> that we have five more of, but they want that one because it's that color. And she had it, and now I want it. Hadn't thought about it in six months, and now all of a sudden, it's bringing Hades into our house, okay? So, so here's, what, here's what we do in the midst of that fight, in the midst of that conflict. I'll say, Emery Grace! Because it just seems like she's always in there somewhere. She's little Megan. Like, y'all think she's, I'm telling you. She, she is. I'm now, Gabriel's in it too, but you ask her. You can, she will, she will co uh, confirm this for you. I'm like, Emery Grace, come to me. And then she turns around and she comes in and she's got that lip. <laughs> I'm done, y'all. Like on the inside, I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? You know, she's got those little eyes. But daddy, he. And, and so I call Gabe, Gabriel, come. That's little Chris with blonde, fluffy hair, I'm telling you. Come to me. And so he will come. He'll come in there. And then, and then the father in that situation will begin to help settle the dispute. Listen, if they would have never come, they would have remained in the dispute. Okay, let's say, let's say they're hurting. Let's say something happens. Little man, he's sensitive. I mean, any little thing that happens, like he wants somebody to know and he wants somebody to love on him through it. Now, we're going to work on it as he gets older. But right now, I mean, he's just little. You know, he's fluffy. he got them big old pretty eyes. And I just, when he's hurting, I say, Gabriel, come, come to me. A couple of weeks ago, an Adeline broke her arm and she was trying to be so tough because you don't want to hurt in front of other people, right? You'd rather conceal it and let it fester. And then, and then when you get away from everybody else, then you can be you. Hey, listen, I, I put this out earlier this week and then we sang about it this morning. Jesus removed the veil. Don't replace it with a mask. Jesus tore the veil from top to bottom. Don't pull a mask off and try to conceal and hide and cover up who you really are. Open up. Let your life be an open book. And then the enemy won't have a place to write because nobody, that, that nobody can see. Let every place in your life have light shine on it. And then no, the enemy won't be able to hide in the darkness anywhere. Adeline broke her arm. She's trying to conceal it. And, and Megan walked her over because Megan had that mama look in her eyes. You know? So she brought her to me and, and I said, come, Adeline, come to me. And she comes over and I hold her arm. And she didn't have to try to deal with the pain on her own any longer. She didn't have to deal with the hurt on, on her own any longer. She knew from that point forward, as long as she was connected to me, as long as she was with me, that I was going to take care of what was hurting her. 
Because I know better than them most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes they get me. But I know better than them. I know what they need better than they know. Because they're my baby. They're my son and daughters. And I am their father. Watch what Jesus said in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 11. My father has entrusted everything to me. See, this is what sets Jesus apart from every other religion. This is why we have to believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because he says, my father has entrusted everything to me. There is no other way but his. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal. Those to whom the son chooses to to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me. Come to me. There is no other way for you to have the relationship that you need with God. You don't go to another man, woman, or child. There's not another situation. There's not another victory, not another triumph, not another success, not another job, not another paycheck. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Trade my yoke for yours. Like, trade, trade what you're carrying for what I've already carried. Because I can handle it. I can carry things that you can't carry because I'm daddy. I can handle things that you can't handle because I'm the father. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Man, wouldn't that be nice? If we just had, like, like I could accomplish a thousand things in the middle of, all day long. And yet at night, when I lay my head down, and in the morning when I wake up, I have rest in my soul. I'm not distressed in my soul. I'm not anxious in my soul. I'm not sad in my soul. I'm not upset in my soul. I'm not irritated in my soul. Come on, somebody. I have, I have rest in my soul. Well, the formula for rest in your soul is come to Jesus, rest in your soul. That's the answer. And if we're not coming to Him then we're not going to have rest. Verse 30, For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If you're taking notes this morning, number one, we need to come to Jesus. Like, I know you know that. But, but do you know it? Like, you understand it. Like, you agree with it. But do you believe it? Like, do you sincerely concern yourself with first, foremost, and only at night and in the morning throughout your day. That I need to come to Jesus. In order to be the person that I am supposed to be, I need to come to Jesus. Your notes, by the way, if you, can't, if you didn't get a bulletin by chance, they are actually on the back of the bulletin. Or you can open them up online at eunicechurch.com slash notes. We need Jesus. Why do we need Jesus? Because Jesus offers a confidence in our conversations. See, we, we harp a lot of time that Jesus offers confidence in our conversion. And, and I'm for that. Like, I want you to be confident in the fact that you've been converted. 
I want you to be confident in the fact that you've been saved and you've been set free and that you learn some eternal security based on receiving Jesus and remaining in Jesus. I want you to have that confidence. But you want, you know what? I want you to have it. I want my children to have confidence in their safety and their security. But you know what I want for them even more than that? I want them to have confidence in their conversations with their father. I want my little girls to come to me. I want them to tell me things. I want them to share their life with me. If they're safe and secure and ignorant, it's still going to upset me. If they're safe and secure but secretive, it's still going to upset me. If they're safe and secure and they find that in sharing their life with me, guess what? We're going to have a much better relationship. My daughters understand two things, and I'm harping on it because I only have a few more years before they start really making a lot of decisions on their own. And I grabbed Adeline just the other night before she went to sleep, and I, I just reminded her, baby, do you remember my, my number one rule? She kind of looked at me. My num number one. You remember, you can do anything else except for this one thing. What is it? She said, lie to you. I said, baby, you can come to me and you can tell me anything that you need to tell me. Anything. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your desires. I want to know your struggles. I promise you, I will handle it the right way. God help me. But if you lie to me, or if I find out, your behind will be mine, little girl. Do you understand? <laughs> come tell me. We can deal with it together. You know what we do? We, try to, we do the same thing that Adam and the woman did whenever they entered into their sin. We try to cover it up. We try to conceal it. And then when we get called out on it, we don't confess and repent. We start blaming everybody else for it. And we repeat the cycle. Jesus, when we came to come to Jesus, He teaches us to have confidence in our conversations. Remember, Jesus had been with the Father. I want you to imagine this with me. He had been with the Father every day of His existence. Every day, every moment of time, Jesus had been with the Father right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Since, since before the beginning, because He's an eternal God. And then all of a sudden, throughout eternity, they were one. And then all of a sudden, one day, God stopped saying and God sent. It's a big deal. God stopped speaking and God sent. Pastor Weston actually gave me this example, but I, I love the relationship that my sister has with my stepfather. They're, they're separated in distance, but they're not separated in communication. They literally talk almost, if not, every day. That man calls his baby or his baby calls him almost every day. And it's not because she's like confiding in him and fussing about her husband. Don't do that ignorant stuff, okay? I'm telling you, your parents will always love you more than they love your spouse, <laughs> okay? Don't do that. But they were together every day. And so Jesus comes down in the midst of, of what the, the Jews would refer to as the silent years. For 400 years, God had not spoken to his people. For 400 years, God had not said a word. For the longest time, God was willing to say. God was willing to speak. The Holy Spirit would come and prophets would speak up. And that was enough. But all of a sudden, God understood that in His master plan, saying was going to lose its savor. 
and God was going to need to send a savior. We have heard it so much that we have just become just monotone to the voice of God. We have heard it so much that we have become complacent to things that used to be convicting. Jesus shows up after 400 years of silence and talks to God like he knows him personally. God has not spoken. The people have not heard a word from God for 400 years. And then Jesus goes and steps into the Jordan River. 400 years. God's silent. Jesus steps into the Jordan River. And John baptizes him. And Jesus comes up out of the water and watch what God says. This is the revelation of God to that generation after 400 years of silence. This is my son. I love him. And I am pleased with him. I, I don't know whom I'm talking to today. But I believe that there's some people in this room. And I know there's some people in this city and the surrounding areas that think God has gone silent and God is not speaking because God is not saying what we want to hear. But let me remind you that when God stopped speaking, he started sending. He sent his only begotten son. And when we're in him, the same thing that he spoke over our Savior, he speaks over us. This is my child. I love them and I am well pleased with them. Not because of their doing, but because of their being. We have to come to Jesus if we want to see the Father the way that He did. Because our view of God, our view of the Father will affect our approach to the Father. My baby's view of me, how they perceive me, will affect how they approach me. And so we have to come to Jesus because only He knows the absolute truth about the Father. Only He knows everything about His Daddy. His view, listen to this, catch this, His view affected His how. Sometimes we get so focused on what we're doing, we forget how we're supposed to be doing it. And a lot of times, the how is more important than the what. The how, our being, come on, y'all stay with me for a second because I got your wheels turning right now. Our how, our being is more important than our what or our doing. Our what, I'm sorry, our how and our being does not flow out of our what and our doing. Our what and our doing flows out of our how and our being. Sometimes God will interrupt our doing so he can fix our being. He will interrupt our doing so he can fix our desire. God, leave me alone. I'm trying to do. He says, I know. Stop it. Because I'm not worried about your do. I'm just worried about you. Because it is your being that your do flows out of. It is your how that will affect your what. 
You can focus on the what and the doing all day long and still be impure in your heart. And that's what's wrong with the pastors in America, by the way. That's why they are falling like acorns in the fall. They are falling because they are so focused. We are so focused on keeping up with the person that we're watching on Facebook or watching on Instagram. We're so focused on our doing that we have forsaken our being and we forget that the only thing that Jesus required of us was for us to come to him because it's only in the fact that we are connected to him that we will be able to accomplish anything eternal. It's our being. It's our how. He will stop our doing. God will stop our doing in order to speak to our being. He will stop us. He will cause us to run into every wall that he could send down from heaven. Even Jesus needed to be reminded of who he was. And we're not better than him. Listen, if before Jesus could do ministry for other people, God had to baptize him symbolically, death to life, and God had to speak over him and remind him who he was, then how much more do we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ? If Jesus needed to be reminded of who he was before he began doing for others, then how much more do we need it? This is in your notes. Jesus' knowledge of God. Jesus' knowledge of God gave him confidence in God. You know why we don't have confidence in our relationship with God? Because we don't know him. We don't know him the way that he wants to know us. We don't spend time with him the way that he created. If you are too busy to spend time with God, listen to me, friend. You are officially busier than heaven ever intended for you to be. If we are too busy to spend, God, spend time with God, then we are officially busier. And we are really good in this culture about being busy. And we are not so great about being And we need to fix that. We may need to cut some things from our busy next week when we begin a a week of prayer. We may need to fast some things that are causing us to be more connected to the world than God desires for us to be so that we can become more connected to Him the way He created us to be. Sometimes we're too busy. We're busier than God ever intended. Let me tell you the definition. This should be encouraging. I know that's challenging and it's convicting, but this should be encouraging. Real Christianity is a relationship with Father God. It's a relationship with God. It's not a religion about God. We've got to stop confusing that. We are not in a religion about Jesus. We are not in a religion about God. We are in a relationship with the King of glory and the creator of all things that were and are and ever will be. We are in a relationship with the one that God sent after he had stopped speaking. It's a personal relationship. Christianity is found on what Jesus has done, not just what I can do. Yes, our doing is important. We spent a week on that, okay? But it's not the first and fourth. Our doing doesn't determine who God is. Who God is determines our doing. It is an outflow of our being. Real Christianity is about seeking Jesus, not approval. It's about seeking Jesus, not experience. 
It's about seeking Jesus. You know what the problem is about seeking approval? That when the atmosphere changes and what is necessary to maintain the approval changes, then you will change with it. That's why so many teenagers fall off the wagon. Because we have youth ministries across America that teach them to seek approval. Live right, speak right, dress right, act right, sing right, use your talent right. But we're not teaching them how to seek Jesus right. We're teaching them how to be right without teaching them how to be in Jesus. And if we can teach them how to connect to Jesus, if you can teach your babies how to connect with Jesus personally, then you can put them in hell and the gates shall not prevail against them. If you can teach them how to connect to Jesus personally, then they won't, they won't care about anybody else's approval except for the audience of one. Real Christianity is about seeking Jesus, not approval. I don't need the approval of men. I have the approval of the creator of men. Real Christianity is about believing, not behaving. Well, I could spend 20 minutes on that, but for your time's sake, I, I won't. It's about believing. Because your, your doing is an outflow of your being. Your behavior is an outflow of your believing. If something's wrong with your behavior, it's because there's something wrong with your believing. And if you can fix you're seeking Jesus. You're connecting to God. You're believing in who He really is. Then the behavior will begin to be convicted by the Spirit and begin to fix itself. Real Christianity is obedience out of delight, not duty. It, it's obedience out of delight, not, not an obligation, not one more responsibility that we have to fulfill that day. Jesus came onto the scene and he showed a relationship with the Father that people had never seen. God had to go silent for 400 years so that, that his people would see something in his son that they did not possess because they got really good at doing and they became terrible at being. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We have to come to Jesus. Psalm 62 verse 1 in the NIV and I just picked the NIV. I just it just resonates with the the passage formerly. It says truly my soul finds rest in God. Truly my soul finds rest in God and my salvation comes from him. Please notice the order in that scripture. Okay? My soul finds rest in God. And then I receive salvation. I don't just get everything that I need and then come to God and then receive salvation. No, I come to God and I find rest in Him. I come to Jesus and I find rest in Him. And in finding Him, I receive salvation from Him. This thing is not about salvation. It's about relationship. It's about connecting to Jesus. Salvation is a byproduct of God's actual intention. The actual intention was relationship. We've made it all about salvation. 
We've made it all about speaking in tongues. We've made it all about signs and wonders and the experience. And God is saying, once again, I have a new generation doing the same thing and calling it something different. We are focused on the doing and God wants us to be focused on the being because the purpose of redemption was relationship. Jesus came to restore relationship. I love my little bride, okay? And, and here's what I hate. I can't stand it. I hate it when I've done something or said something ignorant that damages the relationship with my bride. Or I hate it when something's happened in our lives that's damaged the relationship because she is my bride. Listen, Jesus hurts when something happens in his bride or in the relationship with his bride, when something's damaged in the relationship with the people that he loves the most. And the only way that it's better is when it's reconciled because the purpose of redemption is relationship. The purpose of restoration is relationship. The purpose of God reaching down and coming into earth, the purpose of God sending His only Son is to restore the relationship between Himself and His bride, between Himself and His children. That's what He desires most. If there's something wrong with all the relationships in your life, hear me. If there's something wrong in relationships that you have, then there may be something wrong with the relationship that you have. Because it is my relationship with Him that affects every other relationship with them. It's first and foremost. And so if you look at your life and you've got a bunch of damaged relationships, you've got a bunch of broken relationships, you maybe have some bitterness towards some people, some unforgiveness towards some people, maybe you have, you, you have some brokenness towards some, some people, or you, you have some conflict with some people that hasn't been restored for ages, there may be something wrong. I'm not saying that, that this is the only thing, but there may be something wrong with your relationship with the Father because the Father said, forgive and you will be my relationship with you is going to affect your relationship with everybody else. So if your relationship with everybody else is messed up or a lot of everybody else's, then there may be something wrong with the only relationship that matters. Number two, when we come to Jesus, we will become like Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we will become like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Jesus wasn't just competent in his conversations. He was consistent in them. Jesus was consistent in his conversations. Listen, I want you to, to picture a, a mother who, who is, is 32 weeks and, and inside of her, inside of the womb, okay, is something that needs to be given birth to. Okay? The only reason that that thing is being developed is because it is consistently being developed. 
Okay? If it's not consistently being developed, then something happens with the birth. Consistency. Consistency will breed confidence. A lack of consistency will breed a lack of confidence. But consistency, if you will, with me, consistency in your relationship with Jesus, consistency is the breeding ground for relationship and confidence in Christ. Consistency is the womb by which confidence is birthed. And if we are inconsistent, then we will lack in confidence. Consistency and complacency cannot go hand in hand. My life was a a downward spiral of inconsistency. When I fixed the consistency of being in Christ, I fixed the confidence of being like Christ. Are you okay this morning? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? He was consistent in his conversations with the Father. He had an everyday kind of talk. And an everyday kind of walk. Luke chapter 5 verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often would separate himself from the busyness. So that he could seek the Father about his being. Jesus often withdrew from the wilderness for prayer. Here's what I think is important today. You can write this down if it's not already in your notes. I think it may be. I want you to understand this because we're not good at this, just predominantly. Often and occasionally do not produce the same results. Occasionally meeting with Jesus. Occasionally meeting with the Father. Occasionally praying before you eat. Occasionally reading your scripture once a week. Occasionally receiving at church. Did you know that statistically... The church goer, the church goer consists, I'm not talking about the unchurched. I'm talking about those who claim to be a part of the bride of Christ, the body of God. The, the, the church goer in our nation will attend church one Sunday a month. One Sunday a month. That is the the people that say that they believe. I'm not not talking about the influx of visitors or or guests or or people that are are, are hoping to find a church. I'm talking about people that say, yeah, this is my church home. They will attend church once, maybe twice a month. And, 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 And extracurriculars are out of the question because we have too many other extracurriculars to attend to. What is the first thing that most people will scratch off of their list whenever they get busy? Serving at church. The first thing that people will scratch off of their list when it comes to giving in their finances, when things get tight in our time, our talent, or our treasure, who do we take away from first? God, His people, His church, serving others, discipling. I don't have time. Friend, listen, you are officially too busy. You, you are officially spending too much money on too many temporary things. If those are the places that you have to make cuts, the church and Christ, your relationship with God through the church. Well, I don't have to be part of a church in order to have a relationship with Jesus. That's fine. You can be disobedient to the word. 
Because it is specifically attached to the word of God, an essence of being part of the body of Christ. And don't tell me that you love me if you don't like my wife. You got to be connected. Paul specifically said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. No, you don't have to go to church to be saved. But if you are saved, you should want to be part of what God is trying to do in the community. And what he is going to do in a community is going to happen through the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Whether you're a finger or the heart, you have a place and you've got to be a part. Often and occasionally do not produce the same results. My life was a downward spiral because I would occasionally want to lead a small group. I would occasionally want to have a Bible study at school. I would occasionally wake up in the mornings and pray. I would occasionally read the scripture. I would occasionally give as God purposed in my heart. When I replaced occasional with often, things began to produce differently in my life. When I replaced inconsistency with consistency, I began to gain a confidence in my walk with Jesus that I did not formerly possess. My life was full of occasional Christianity, and therefore my life was full of inconsistent Christianity. But when I came to Jesus, I became like Jesus. And the more that I came to him, the more that I became like him and the more often that I came to him the more often I would live like him have confidence like him pray like him talk like him walk like him act like him treat people like him love others like him have relationship like him be redeemed like him be restored like him you know that you know him when you become like him and the only way to become like him is to come to him. Not occasionally. Not on Sunday. Well, I come more than once or twice a month, preacher. I'm in a good place with Jesus. No, 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 friend, listen. If you only eat once a week, you will starve to death. We eat three, four, five, sometimes down here, six, seven, eight times a day. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we spend about five minutes with him before we go to bed. Maybe two or three times a week. And we wonder why spiritually we are starving. We're starving spiritually because we're not eating. We're starving spiritually because we are feeding our physical body and the cares of this life. But we are not feeding our soul. And so our soul is not at rest. Number two, we will become like Jesus and Jesus had consistent conversations, but he was spiritually stable. He wasn't just a spiritual zealot that ran around preaching at people like I preach from the platform every week. He had consistent conversations. He had confident conversations. And then he was spiritually stable. He wasn't an emotional basket case. He, he wasn't a a roller coaster of emotion. If you claim to be in Christ, listen, you should be as emotionally stable as you are intellectually stable. We talk a lot about our IQ, our, our intellectual quotient, right? We need to spend more time as believers focused on our EQ, 
our emotion. We will emotion people right out of the kingdom of God if we're not careful. We will vomit all of our stuff on everybody that will listen and wonder why they never want to be around us. <laughs> we get mad at things that we forgot just because we wanted to bring them back up in front of somebody that may feel sorry for us. <laughs> just don't. Emotional stability. Jesus was stable. He was spiritually stable. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm back in the New Living. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Together, we are His house. See, you don't have to come to church to be saved. But when you receive salvation in Christ, you're just going to want that. Like, that's just going to be part of your being. Together, we are His house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone, the stable part, the one that you can build everything else around, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. Verse 21, we are carefully joined together in Him. Becoming, not became, becoming. There is no, there is no drive-through for your Christianity, friend. There is no sonic drive-in, press a button, make an order. Get yourself a half-off drink between 2 and 5 on Monday through Thursday. That's, there's, I know it's in our culture. But, but sometimes our culture is not in Christ. There is no drive-through Christianity. There is no drive-through become like Jesus. There is no sign this card. Well, then why do y'all do it? So we can keep up. So we can know who you are and we can follow up with you and we can make sure that we're doing our job to give you as many opportunities as possible. I tell our board, I tell our leadership, I tell our staff, if I were an evangelist and I were to travel and preach, I would get 90% of you in the altar before I left that church that Sunday. I'd make you laugh, cry, scream, pout. I'd make you come to the front and you and I could weep and sob together. And then I would leave and let the pastor clean up my mess. <laughs> It'd be great. But as a pastor, I'm not trying to get you to come to this altar. I'm trying to get you to come back next week. I'm trying to get you to become like Christ every day. I don't want a bunch of emotional basket cases that thinks the only time that you're with God is when you're on the mountain. I want you to know that when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you should fear no evil, for His rod and His staff will comfort you in the midst of whatever you're going through. I don't need to be on the mountain to be with Jesus. I can be in the valley and be just as stable as I was up there in the transfiguration when God was speaking audibly because He's already done everything that I need. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple. Becoming. Not, not just became one time. Not just became when we received salvation or became when we were filled with the Spirit or became when we began to speak in tongues or became that one time that we prayed with somebody. No, no, no. We are becoming. We are in a process from this day forward. We are becoming a holy temple for the Lord. One of the times that we see Jesus go into the wilderness, one of the first times, and I want you to picture this with me because I think, that, I think that this just really resonated with me this past week. 
I told you that Jesus came to the river and, and John baptized him. And John's like, I'm not baptizing you. I'm not worthy. Right? We've got to stop not serving God's kingdom because we don't think we're worthy. Hey, listen, listen. Can you, you hear me? Listen. You're not. You're not worthy. Neither am I. It's not our worth that causes us to be valuable. It's, it's that He looked down and He said, I call you valuable because of what I was willing to pay for you. And, and I stopped speaking and I started sending. Your, your value is not found in your worth. Your value is found in what He was willing to pay. In fact, you're not worth anything. You are worth God's absolute best because that's what He sent. And so Jesus comes and He says, John, baptize me. John's like, I'm not worthy. He says, I know. (laughs) I am. So John baptized him. And then... uh, an audible voice after 400 years of, of silence. An audible. Imagine being there on the banks of the Jordan River. Come on, just put yourself there with me. We're like watching this whole thing. Like, Jesus is going towards John. I wonder if he'll baptize him. He better not. Heaven may strike him with a bolt. Because they think God's an angry God. You remember the God that sat on the throne with a lightning bolt? And then all the little people were standing at his feet in the tracks. And then they either came up to be with him or they're like falling backwards into the lake of fire. <laughs> that was the image of God that they had. Oh, man, that's Jesus. He's going to baptize him. I wonder what he's going to do. Oh, it baptized him. And then all of a sudden, after however many generations, 12 to 15 generations who have never heard from God, they hear a voice. And this voice speaks in Hebrew. And he says, this is my son. I love him. And I'm pleased with him. Listen. He comes up out of the water and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Holy Spirit wasn't a dove, okay? We shoot those. Put them in the frying pan. They're yummy, okay? The Holy Spirit (laughs) descended. It's hunting season. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove or as a dove upon Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water And he goes into the wilderness to be alone. Okay. I don't know about you, but that is the exact opposite of what I would have done. I would have done what Peter wanted to do on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's build a tent. Let's have a revival. Let's invite everybody up here. We're going to make a lot of people meet Jesus. We're going to have a a Holy Ghost hoedown. We're going to have the the outpouring of the last generation. Revival fire. Did y'all see me get baptized? Did you hear the voice of the Lord? Did you see me receive the Spirit? Let's set up shop and have some services. That's what we would have done. If we heard an audible voice from God, we would have started our own ministry. Audible voice of God ministries. Everybody heard it. Holy Ghost like a dove church of Jesus in the river ministries. Pastor Chris Fry. That's what we would have done. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went out in the wilderness alone. Most people wouldn't go off alone after they had an experience like that. 
the church today, you know what the church today would do? We'd keep going back to the same dumb river hoping to have the same experience. That's what the church today does. Well, I experienced it once before. I want to receive it again. Jesus never went back into the Jordan River again to be baptized again. He never had to receive the Holy Spirit again. He never had to have another audible voice of God. Now, God did it again, but he didn't have to have it. He didn't keep going back to the same place to experience the same thing over and over again. He moved forward. He grew. He became. He walked, he walked in his relationship. He went and he was alone in the wilderness. Jesus went to be alone with the Father. Why? Because his strength was not based off of his experience with people. His strength was not based off of his experience in front of people. His strength was based on his experience with the Father. And so he went out to the wilderness to spend 40 days and 40 nights with the Father. Guys, listen. When is the last time you went and got alone for four minutes with God? You didn't do anything else. You didn't say anything. You didn't write anything down. You just stopped for four minutes and got along with God. Why are we so hungry? Because we're not in Him. We're not spending any time with Him. We're not becoming like Him. Jesus knew that His strength was based off of His experience. It's why He often withdrew to the wilderness to be alone with God. Now let me present a biblical theory with you and I'm closing with this. I want to present Chris's theory. It's not biblical absolute, but this is just me and the Holy Spirit kind of work this out. And, and 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the devil comes and attacks Jesus because he will always show up at the end of a significantly strong spiritual experience. He'll always show up or he'll send somebody to show up. So 40 days and 40 nights and then the devil shows up. You know why the devil showed up? Because he looked at what he saw. Can you imagine being in the wilderness in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights having nothing to eat, maybe finding an oasis along the side uh, on occasion, having some water, but 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Can you imagine how physically weak Jesus appeared? Listen to me. The devil could only see what Jesus wanted him to see. The devil could only see the physical appearance of Jesus. The devil could only see how Jesus appeared to be physically weak. But he didn't know that he had been alone for 40 days and 40 nights with the Father. That the only food he had had was the bread of life, which is the Word of God. He wasn't looking into the spiritual. He wasn't looking into the soul. You know why? Because the enemy cannot see into your spirit or into your soul. He can only see what you show him so when you look weak when you feel weak when you seem weak when it's because you've been separated or you've been alone the enemy will show up thinking he has you but what he doesn't understand is who you've been alone with and your spirit is stronger than it's ever been your soul is more sanctified than it ever was before so when the devil showed up and began to teach tempt Jesus based on how he appeared Jesus began to speak out of what he knew 
Jesus began to speak out of who he was. Jesus reminded the devil himself that there is no word that can come against me. You can't offer me the world because that's not what I came for. You can't offer me power and experience because I've already had it in the Father. You cannot tempt me the way that you could tempt other people in their physical weakness because my spirit and my soul are strong and mighty in my Father. That's what Jesus looked like in that moment. And so he overcame the devil. You know why? Because Jesus was full. He was full. He didn't look like it. The enemy's not all-knowing, guys. The enemy's not omnipresent. Said it Wednesday night. The devil has probably never attacked you. Now, he might have sent powers and principalities to attack you, but the devil is not attacking you. Not unless you're the only person out of 7 billion people that he is currently focused on. It may be. Now, that means that powers and principalities may be coming against you, but the devil only only fell with a third of heaven. So that means that for every devil that's attacking you, God has two angels fighting for you. For every one that comes against you, God still has two in the heavens that come against them. God still has two that are fighting for you, fighting in your corner. And guess what? The Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, darkness will flee. If you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. But guess what? God didn't even need to use Jesus to beat the Lucifer. He took the archangel and he defeated him with a lesser angel. He said, Michael, go deal with this. I don't have time for this, dude. Take him and a third of heaven out. And and, and you guys stay and set up shop. I'm going to put you as guardians over my people. And then the book of Psalms says, may his angels encamp themselves around you. May you be surrounded by the angels of heaven. May two out of the used to be three fight for you when the one tries to stir its head up against you. Jesus was full. What was he full? of grace 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 doesn't matter how you live it's all about grace no it's not what it says grace and truth woman caught in the act of adultery grace woman where are those who persecute you then neither do I condemn you that's grace truth go and sin no more grace and truth Jesus was full of it see most people don't need to be told about their sin they need to be told about a way out they don't need to be told about everything that they've been doing wrong they need to be shown a way out of their sin they need a savior they've heard enough words they've heard enough sayings they need a savior they need to see the one that has been sent for them So what do we do? Jeremiah 6 is the last verse. 16. This is what the Lord says. I believe that this is the verse of the day. Come to Jesus. Become like Jesus. This is how. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. In other words, right now, begin to make an examination of your soul. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old, the godly way, and walk in it. Travel its path, the straight and the narrow that Jesus said few will find. Travel its path and you will find rest. Oh my Lord, there it is again. For your souls. 
But you reply, nah, that's not the road we want. I'm just going to keep doing the way I have been doing, hoping for different results. I'm going to continue to remain an occasional Christian. I'm going to continue to seek God occasionally, come to church occasionally, give occasionally, study His Word occasionally, lead a small group, become a part of a small group occasionally. If I feel like it, then I'll do it occasionally because that's not really the thing that I want. Can we, can we change that today? Let's change our response. Let's change our response from no, that's not the road we want. Let's change our response today. We say yes. Jesus says, come to me. We say yes, Lord. Jesus says, I will give you rest. We say, yes, Lord. Jesus says, study to show thyself approved. Yes, Lord. Jesus said, when you come to the Father, bring thanksgiving and praise. Tell Him about His holiness and then make your request through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Make your request known to Him. And then you will receive peace that transcends the mind and the heart and all understanding. God, we say yes. Father, right now, I pray that you would help us to say yes. If you will, just begin to take an evaluation of your soul right where you sit. Nobody moving around. We're not stirring for anything. We're examining where our heart sits. I'm talking to the church right now. I'm talking to those who came into this place today and and you had confidence in the fact that you were following Jesus. But you know that something in your life needs to become more than occasional. You know that you need to become more consistent in one area of your life because it's your consistency that will produce your confidence. You need to take some time in your week and focus more on your being than your doing. Right now, all over the room, if if that applies to you, if, if you know that there's something that God is speaking specifically to I just want you to confess it to him. Confess it to yourself. He already knows what's in your heart. Just lift your hand and say, Chris, I, I, do, I need to make that adjustment. I need to give that time. I, I need to give that, that area of my life to him, that, that talent, that treasure. I need more consistency in this one place specifically. Father, I pray that you would see their hands, and I pray that they would know in their heart that you hear them and that you're for them. You're not against them. God, that you look upon them because they are followers of Jesus. They believe in you. And they've received your salvation. You look upon them and you say, this is my child. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Let's get better at this together. Now, for those in the room this morning who are not following Jesus, up to this point, you have been saying, no, that is not the road that I want to take. No, that is not the life that I want to live. I want to do it my way. But today you realize that your way is not providing rest for your soul. Your way is providing more consequences, more condemnation, more guilt, more shame, more sorrow. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus paid for that. And so if you will say yes to Jesus, he can cleanse you from all of those things. He can save you. He can set you free. And he can make you like new. 
If you want to say yes to Jesus today because you were not following him, you are not following him, would you just lift your hand right where you are and just say yes? I'm saying yes to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? I say yes. Thank you. I say yes to Jesus today. I need to receive him, receive his salvation. I say yes to him. Just a minute longer. I I, I just sense that there's more that just need to say yes to the Lord. Say yes to his will for your life. Say yes to his relationship. I see you. I see you. Thank you. I say yes to the relationship that I believe that God desires to have with me. Church, can you pray this prayer with me? If you raised your hand, the Bible says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we pray this prayer in confidence with all of our heart, out loud. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, we say yes. We say yes to your will. We say yes to your word. We receive your salvation. We believe in you. Take my life. Make it yours. Fill my heart with the desire to follow you with everything that I am. I say yes in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give him praise in his house this morning? Come on, stand all over the room today. I want to invite you.